This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader the station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hey everyone, it's Reed. Before we get started, it's 2024. We've been waiting. Here it is. We've been talking about this. Everything we did in 2021 to prepare for 2022. Everything we did in 2022 to prepare for 2023. It all comes down to this, guys. Now, 10 months, 10 months to Election Day. I hope you'll get involved with us. I want to say thank you for listening. I hope you will share this with your friends, your family, your colleagues in the American pro-democracy movement. I hope you'll sign up, lincolnproject.us, jointheunion.us. Get involved, everybody. Every moment counts, and I cannot say thank you enough. And now? On with the show. Welcome back to The Lincoln Project. I'm your host, Reed Galen. Today, I'm joined by Olivia Troy, former Homeland Security and Counterterrorism Advisor to Vice President Mike Pence. She's currently the Executive Director of 97%, a bipartisan gun safety organization. Today, she's coming to us from the Washington, D.C. area. Olivia, welcome to the show. Thanks. Hi, Reed. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you, too. Okay, so there's a lot going on in the world, in the political world, not surprisingly. We're now in an election year, but I want to start with this. And for our audience, I want to make sure everyone in the audience knows. My partner, my brother-in-arms, my co-founder of the Lincoln Project, Rick Wilson, the one and only Rick Wilson, was swatted last night as we were recording this. And what that means, gang, is someone calls in, and Olivia, if I get anything wrong here, please you know, correct me, sure. that someone calls in a fake police report saying that you have killed someone in your home and you have barricaded yourself and you're heavily armed. The idea being that the SWAT team in swatting comes to your home and you know, if this is handled in an incorrect way, right, either by the police who are trying to figure out a dangerous situation or the person in the house who responds by trying to defend themselves against something they don't know because they hear banging on their door in the middle of the night, it could lead to tragedy, bloodshed, you know, unintentional killing, et cetera, et cetera. This is not the first time Rick's been swatted, but it sounds like that, you know, Jack Smith and the judge overseeing uh, Donald Trump's, you know, insurrection trial for whatever we're going to call it, Olivia, have been swatted in recent weeks. It sounds like that there is a rash of this going on. Now, you have some personal experience with political threats and you are also a counterterrorism expert. So I want to ask when you left the vice president's office, Mike Pence's office, and we're very close to the January 6th anniversary as well as when you decided to come out against Donald Trump personally in the Trump administration, walk us through a little bit of what that looks like as you are considered now a traitor to the cause. And all in my monologue here is that, guys, it's important to understand that for these people, betrayal is the biggest sin, right? If you're a longtime enemy or on the outskirts or a political opponent, right, you're a Democrat, that's one thing. But if you have been part of the hive and you have left and turned on them, Olivia, that's really the cardinal sin. So take us a little bit through what it feels like, even up to this moment, which I know that 
you know, you're never far from being harassed by these people. I think you're absolutely right. It is different when you come from within, as they say. Look, this has actually been mentioned in a, it was actually mentioned in a lawsuit against me where the person suing me actually raised this during it and said, well, the reason that I'm concerned about what she's been saying is because she's more credible because she came from within. And they were like, well, all these people call you this name. They call you this all the time. Why her? And he said, because she worked for Mike Pence. She worked in the White House. So it's a different level of betrayal here when you do this. And look, what I considered coming forward, I have to tell you that I knew that it would be bad. I was I went into it very, very aware of what I was about to do and what it would mean for me and my family. But I will say that I, it's still hard to really understand it until you're in it. And I watched some of my other colleagues like Miles Taylor at DHS, he came forward. And I knew that it had been really bad for him. And just remember, I was inside. I was hearing what they were saying about these people. So I was very prepared for what was to come internally on how they would react and the things that would be said about me amongst colleagues that I had worked closely with for over two and a half years. What I wasn't prepared for was I knew that there would be threats. I had no idea the extent and the unwavering commitment by this movement to continue the harassment. It's not like it fades. It just follows you forever. Well, and that's one thing I was talking with some other people this morning about, you know, there's the political violence, the swatting, the threats, the frivolous lawsuits, et cetera. And this is one thing I think it's always important to remember, Olivia, and you're still dealing with it, is one, these people have no scruples. There is nothing they won't do. And secondly, and we've seen this for a long time, there is an unending stream of money that will support all of this stuff. That is the issue, is the machine behind this that's driving it. It's never ending. And it's well supported, like you said. That is, I think, something that sometimes doesn't get discussed in the forefront of it. I think we don't discuss sort of like what's going on behind the scenes and how really all of these people are working together and how it is funded and how, you know, when you're on the and I would say the defense side of it, trying to figure out how you protect yourself, how do you defend yourself, how do you keep your family safe? I'll tell you, personal security is very expensive, <laughs> incredibly expensive. It's a ongoing thing and a struggle for a lot of these people. And, you know, one thing I would mention is that I was having this conversation with a colleague earlier today who said something nice about someone on Trump's staff recently. And there's concern when you say that about a former colleague about saying they're a good person or they're a person that's going to follow the rule of law. There's an immediate anxiety, which sounds so rational, about, oh, did I just put that person in the crosshairs unwillingly? Like, I didn't mean to do that. I am just speaking honestly about that individual. But knowing how these people work, it's unbelievable that there's a slight fear of like, I may have just put that person in jeopardy just by saying that because of who I am and the intent of it. And you're just speaking in a normal situation or conversation, or you're talking to someone in the media or gets covered. And the next thing you know, that person's in the hot seat and you have no idea what you've done to them or what they're going to, how they're going to pay for it later. Let me take a little bit of the flip side of that from a personal perspective, because again, so much of this does become intensely personal. And I yes. don't know how it could be otherwise. I was in Washington, D.C. before Christmas. You and I had a chance to sit down in person and talk through some things. But I saw a person who I'd considered one of my best friends in the world while I was there. This was a person who had at least two very senior jobs in the first Trump administration. And I'll tell you, even after all we've seen with his four years in office and the three years hence, 
this person who I considered to be as close to me as there was had no compunction about what had happened, what was happening, was perfectly willing to go back in to a Trump administration if there is another one at a probably even more senior level, had actually told me sort of in an offhanded way, Olivia, that they'd been working with the Heritage Foundation on, you know, changes to the bureaucracy, which is this Project 2025 thing, which we could probably do a whole series on. Maybe we should. Which is scary. Right. And at the end, they said, all right, good to see you. Best of the wife. And it was like it was over. Right. I mean, there's a really good chance I'm never going to talk to that person again, maybe trade Christmas cards or something. But it was almost hollowing. Right, Olivia, to see somebody you'd been so close to, you thought you knew so well to realize like they've crossed over and I don't know that there's any coming back. No, I don't think there is. I can't tell you the number of times where I saw rational colleagues around me, even in the White House, and now they're even more so. They've doubled down on it, where I saw the transformation happen before my very eyes. And look, I think the palace intrigue is real, the draw of power. And I think at some point, I think these people have decided that there's nowhere else to go and this is this is their network and they're going to double down on it. And I just question like how, like how do you sleep at night because you know you know everything that's happening, you know that it's wrong. All of these people are aware of it at this point, right? I mean, some of them have drank the Kool-Aid and have decided that they're okay with it and their way is the way forward and there's no negotiating with them. But it is hard to see people that you've known, you've respected for many years or you've at least maintained a friendship with. I mean, look, I happened to me. I started my career at the Republican National Committee, and I watched some of the people during the Bush administration that I worked very closely with who have completely gone off the deep end, and they're all in. And they're, they're mega, and they're Trumpists till the end. Well, and, and you know, this is something I, th- I see with, you know, if we want to, let's refer to this as a political party, right? In the case of a Donald Trump, he runs the party. It is an authoritarian movement. But, you know, the kinds of people we're talking about, too, are you know, in the Soviet Union, they would call it was part of the apparat, right? They're apparatchiks, they're party people. Whatever the party wants, that's where they're going to go. Whatever the party's willing to do, that's where they're willing to go. Because to them, you know, and I think oftentimes, I believe anyway, Olivia, you, you've been in the belly of the beast, so you might have a better sense that we sometimes try and ascribe some philosophical belief system to these people because you have to believe that there's something that they're actually there for. When at the end of the day, I think it's very simple. I think it's power and money and self-aggrandizement. I don't think it's a gang. I don't often think it gets more sophisticated than that. Yeah, I agree with that because if you have these closed door conversations with these people, they'll sit there and be like, yeah, that was nuts. Or they'll (laughs) walk out of a meeting and roll their eyes and be like, whoa, that was crazy, right? There were a lot of moments like that. And you kind of look at them because you're like, Okay, but if it's crazy, why are you showing up at the next meeting parroting the crazy? That is the issue, right? And so to go back to Project 2025, right, what concerns me about that in the vein of what we're talking about is that what worries me is that I saw actually people in government who were not in political positions get drawn in. And so while we think about guardrails and we think about the people, what will, how will, how will these people react? I actually became concerned when I saw people in the Intel community or civil service sort of get drawn in by the Kool-Aid and get taken in, quite honestly, politically taken advantage of by some of these people who were seeing the opportunity to use these people as pawns. And some of them got drawn in because it's how they were moving up. And if it meant they were going to get like that position of power or they were going to move up in some political appointment or move up at the National Security Council, I saw a lot of people 
bend their own values and oaths and their commitment that I've seen them throughout, you know, 20 years of working in national security start to change. And I think that's what worries me about Project 2025. They're going to purge the people in government and they're going to look for loyalists. But as part of that, I feel like there's going to be a conversion to loyalty because people are going to be scared. It's also fear, right? I saw this in the like travel ban meetings. I saw it in the Afghanistan meetings. I saw it in the refugee meetings where we were having these serious discussions about all of these Stephen Miller extreme policies. And the fear was real in that room where people didn't, they were so careful about their words in these meetings, how they were going to talk about the policy. How are they, how are they going to present their department's position on it? Because they didn't want to become targeted. And I say that because that's something to think about as we go into this on what's at stake here. Support for the Lincoln Project podcast comes from Odoo. If you feel like you're wasting time and money with your current business software, or just want to know what you could be missing, then you need to join the millions of other users who've switched to Odoo. Odoo is the affordable, all-in-one management software with a library of fully integrated business applications that help you get more done in less time for a fraction of the price. To learn more, visit odoo.com slash Lincoln. That's O-D-O-O dot com slash Lincoln. Odoo, modern management made simple. So I had some friends in town here where I live, and one of them is a, a fairly regular guest on cable television news. And we were talking about this idea, and I'm sure you've seen it too, is that when somebody spends a lot of time on television, right, there's their off-air persona and their on-air persona. Their off-air persona is a normal person. Their on-air persona, because of the nature of how it works, lights, studios, people fawning over you, right? And then everything's punchy sound bites. But if it happens enough, right, Olivia, the two merge and the television persona takes over and the regular person is gone. Is that what you see, too, which is like there's a little bit of this creep, 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 creep. And then one day the person sitting in that meeting doesn't go, that's crazy, but says, oh, no, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, I actually I saw it with people in Pence's staff who got drawn into the other side and who were trying to remain relevant. And he knew that there was a division between the two staffs at times. And yeah, I know some people aren't fans of Mike Pence. Like, I will say that there was a more rational side of the White House at the time, but I definitely saw that in meetings where people definitely started to sound like everyone else. And I see this, I mean, you know, we see this, we see this in talking heads. I think it's concerning of what's to come. And I worry about if we end up with a dangerous individual, whether it's Trump or someone like him, I don't rule that out because it seems like this movement is basically taken Old, right? I just watched Lee Stefanik and her recent comments about, you know, what's to come in the election. And she pretty much told us, like, they will say the election was stolen again, no matter what, if it doesn't go in their favor. And Stefanik is a great example, aside from the fact that she's a terrible person. I don't even want to call her a human being anymore. I don't think she qualifies as that. But remember, this is a person. She is Harvard educated. She was a darling of the Republican establishment. She worked for George W. Bush. She too worked at the RNC. She worked as a policy person and a debate person for Mitt Romney. When she got elected to Congress, she was going to be the new Republican Party. Yes. She was going to be the face of it. The next generation. Remember that? Right. And, and now she is, but not in the way that anybody thought and not in the way she thought about it either. But Olivia, to the point we've been discussing, she is in some ways, I think, more dangerous because if you have a true believer, you know, there's always a secret doubt. She knows exactly what she's doing. 
and does it anyway because she knows she must do it. And I think like so many people like this will do whatever they believe it takes to continue their rise. And I would also say just based I'd actually like to ask you this. I, I have this smart Alec remark. I always say that in movements like this, the only people they hate more than you and me are each other, right? Because they're all sort of clawing to the top. Oh, you should have seen the way these people talk about each other. I mean, it's on a whole new level. I mean, the person would walk out of the room and they'd be like, that's the biggest B ever. That's the biggest leaker. And I'd be like, wow, you literally, we were just sitting in a shoebox of an office and everybody was all smiles. And I'm just trying to like watch this interaction happen. And then the person rolls out and they're like, oh, she's the biggest leaker in the White House. You can't trust her. Well, by the way, we were talking about Kellyanne Conway. I'll spill the tea on that one. <laughs> but she rocks out and everybody's like, knives are out. And I'm just like, what just happened? Like, we literally, <laughs> you guys were kumbaya and besties and they rolled out. So, I mean, that was par for the course. It's like Game of Thrones all over. Right. The worst remake of Game of Thrones in history. All right. Let, let me lean on your expertise in the national security and counterterrorism world for a second as we talk about this. So political violence, as a friend of mine from Egypt once said, actually, he called me on January 6th to say, how am I doing? He's from Egypt. He was in Tahrir Square. And he said, we're used to this for better or worse, for worse, obviously, in Egypt. We're used to this, but you aren't. And what he said is, remember, once political violence gets reintroduced, it's very, very difficult to get out. And so now what we've seen is Trump, you know, going back to 2015, right, beat the hell out of him. Remember, once he was talking about, you know, to a police union or a police organization, he said, you know, hit him, you know, hit their head on the side of the car. And then obviously we saw real violence, whether or not that was the Proud Boys, any of those people. And then January 6th, and we've also seen the stochastic violence, right, which is these lone wolf shooters who've been radicalized. So it seems like an unwinnable or untrackable game of whack-a-mole in some ways with this movement and these people who, again, I don't know that the Proud Boys, for example, were ever, they were never a military organization, right? They had chapters and everything else, but they weren't particularly well-trained. They weren't particularly bright. But then you have these guys who are willing to go out, you know, whether or not it was Maine or in Allen, Texas, or in El Paso, or in Buffalo, and pick up an AR-15 and commit their own acts of violence that are political in nature. Right. And, you know, they were never organized. I mean, the only reason they have stature, if you want to call it that now, is because they found a home. They found a home in a political movement that has embraced them. And they have found people in power who have some of the largest platforms to support them. And so they see themselves as now legitimized, right? That is the issue here that we're facing. Is, and that's why it becomes very hard to counter these types of movements, because they have basically been told that what they're doing is okay, right? When you call those January 6th people, what are they calling them right now? Hostages in quotes? Like, you're sending a message to all of those people that attacked the US Capitol, and you're telling them you were wronged. Your actions weren't wrong. You are the ones being wronged when they're the ones that committed the crime. And that is being parroted not just by, it's not just Trump, right? That is the issue here. It's being parroted by people in their local and state parties. It's being repeated by people and members of Congress that we've seen lately. And this has been ongoing for several years now. And it's being repeated by members in the media and right-wing networks that are supporting this entire mechanism. And so I think a lot of these people, yes, I think the radicalization is continuing. And you know what the hard part is? We've got to look at it from a like 
holistic perspective in terms of our law enforcement, our military, because all of these pillars of democracy and government, they're microcosms of our society and our population, right? So it's there. It's also there. And that's when it starts to wear away at our foundations as a country, because there are lone wolves out there. And they're being told that what they're doing is okay, basically. And they're being told that they're doing it. In their mind, they're doing it for the right cause. That is what is so frightening about this is, you know, some of these people, you know, that are calling in probably, it may be Joe Schmo that's calling them the swatting and all these people. They think that they're doing it probably for their patriotism of the country, their love of country, right? And so that is, I think, what is the more fundamental problem here and the danger of it is that they really believe in this cause. I think that's a really good point. And when I interviewed Michael Fanon, formerly of the Metro PD in Washington, D.C., about his book, that he was basically shunned within the department for his actions on that day and for willing to go out and say these people were wrong, right? The other cops literally turned their backs on him, you know, and he ultimately left the department. But, you know, this is the other part, too, which is it's this really disaffected part of society, this angry part of society that Robert Pape, a PhD professor at the University of Chicago, did a lot of research into the January 6th insurrectionists, what they were, which is, yes, there were a fair number of blue collar people. But to your point, they were too a solid cross section of the country, mostly white. Yes. Blue collar, white collar professionals, retired military, in some cases, active duty military, active duty law enforcement. So it's not like, okay, you know, it's 18 year old guy, you know, with no economic prospects in Eastern Kentucky, right? Like you'd think about it, young, unemployed man, angry. Yeah, there's a lot of that. And they're the most easily radicalized, probably in, in a broad sense. But also it could be anybody. Oh, it's literally it's our neighbors. It's our neighbors. There is someone on your street that has been radicalized. I guarantee it. We see it in our families. We see it in our neighbors. I mean, you know, I always say, like, I don't actually, I don't write off Trump supporters. I don't actually, I don't call Trump supporters and this kind of movement that's been radicalized crazy because, one, they've been lied to, right? And they're going along with their beliefs. But I do think that they have gone all in and are true believers on it. And I think there are grievances. That is one thing that uh, these people have been able to prey on is that they have found those grievances and they have emboldened them by giving those grievances a home and have created, you know, the coalition of a movement together by all bringing all these grievances together, right? Whether it's your race, whether it's anti-immigrant, whether it's I'm angry because foreigners are taking my jobs or my job got taken away or, you know, whatever it is. So you bring the godlike figure in their mind of a Donald Trump. You bring the almighty right in with it, too. So now you're, as John Ward said, you're not only fighting on behalf of, quote unquote, your country or your president, but also the supernatural. Right. You now have the supernatural on your side and it brings all this stuff together. And your point about, you know, bringing these people in, giving them a home. I mean, these people were they were the lost tribes of northern Michigan. Right. They didn't have a place in society. They didn't have a place in politics. Frankly, they didn't want one and society didn't want them either. But Trump said, come on in, come on in. And that's the one thing I've noticed about this movement, Olivia, is whatever crazy you got, they'll take. They're very egalitarian that way. 
Whatever <laughs> whatever true. nuttiness you want to bring to the table, they'll take it. They're very un-Catholic, both in a big C and a small C that way, right? There's no, if you are willing to take on the man or the system or, you know, be what I call the F-U white guy, right? If you're mad, they'll take you. Yeah. And they've also been told that if they don't buy into this, the system's coming after them. Yeah, exactly. And this is the funny thing. So, you know, the, the last year, as Trump is indicted again and again and again, you know, the whole line is, well, if they can do it to him, they can do it to you. Well, yeah, if you try and overthrow the government, yeah, somebody's going to come for you. But now, you know, I wrote a thing for my Substack called January 21st, 2025, basically imagining Trump's first full day in office as, you know, he has invoked the Insurrection Act, Whew, right? He I has federalized friendly National Guards, you know, federal, you know, just like we saw in D.C. in the summer of 2020, right? Unmarked, masked federal officers. Maybe they send them into a place like Portland, Oregon, like they did in September and October of 20, looking for fights, looking to ramp up violence. The difference is, is that he will be unfettered in his mind. I mean, just this morning, I was listening to testimony of Trump's attorney before the federal appeals court, where the guy's basically saying Donald Trump could do anything he wanted. And if he wasn't impeached and convicted by the United States Senate, he is not criminally liable for anything he did while in office. And the judges were just not having it. But Olivia, that's crazy and bananas and basically puts paid to any idea of the rule of law. Right. I mean, what is going to happen when he shoots random people, random Americans on the streets just because he can, just because he's upset with them? And this particular judge, in fact, actually used a specific said, what if the president used SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival? And the guy, he wasn't going to answer the question. And so the judge says, so your answer is no, he can't be prosecuted. He said, oh, it's a qualified yes. And she goes, but the qualification is ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. But it also says, like, if we're going to go this crazy, Olivia, then Joe Biden could do the same thing, too. And if he's not convicted by the United States Senate, then all bets are off. I mean, this is the kind of stuff where it's like we have to go all the way into crazy land to defend something that's indefensible. I talked about this could be filed an amicus brief for this case on the presidential immunity situation here and how it's unconstitutional. And what I have said, too, is just like, man, what is the world thinking about that, right? Can you imagine the rest of the world and the international community and the way they're looking at us? Because they're like, okay, so just FYI, there's possibility here that the president of the United States can get away with anything, anything at all. And now we are a banana republic. Like, that's basically how we're being seen. Like, there's no accountability here. And again, to your point, it could be the other political party, right? I mean, so for all the MAGA supporters out there, okay, so someone doesn't like you, president decides he's just going to sh take everyone out, start shooting at them. It's fine. No process, no liability, <laughs> no rule of law. And then someone, whether or not they have a an R behind their name or a D behind their name or whatever color they are, whatever religion they are, whatever you know creed what they are, at some point, the whole idea is like, I'm not going to wait around for these people to come for me. And now you have that escalating cycle where the Republican Party and MAGA clearly going out of their way to tear down every speed dump, every guardrail, every institution, every bit of political judgment, sanity, everything else. And suddenly it's like, well, shit, I got to do it, too, because if I don't do it, they're coming for me. And then, you know, Lebanon, Syria, I mean, you name it. Right. I mean, these things get very ugly. They get very dirty. 
you know, half the time people forget what they were fighting for because now it just becomes us versus them. But the whole point of democracy, Olivia, as you know, was that we argue about these things in town hall meetings, in county council meetings, in city hall, in legislative chambers, right, in the court of public opinion. And I remember doing a thing at the University of Southern California years ago. I was a Republican at the time and I was it was a panel discussion with a Democrat. And one guy said, look, what happens when the words run out? And I said, well, that's when the shooting starts. And I hate to be so bald about it, for lack of a better way to put it. It's probably the wrong word. But Olivia, this is what happens. And frankly, as I said in the piece I wrote, the Trump people aren't worried about it. I think they're hoping for it. Oh, uh, yeah, because I think that they think that it just plays in their favor and it perpetuates and emboldens their movement. And the more people see these people fighting for the cause, I think they think that it inspires more of them to join, which is why accountability matters, right? I mean, it's important that a lot of these people are actually going to jail and being held accountable for what they're doing, because there needs to be some sort of accountability here and some example of like, yeah, you won't get away with it. Even three years later, people are still getting arrested for what happened on January 6th, right? I mean, they will eventually, you will be held accountable. Let's talk about politics. Let's talk about campaign 2024, something even lighter, right? And fun, more fun. So, you know, there were before the the field started to winnow, and there are still some on the stage, metaphorically speaking, who said that, yes, they will, in fact, pardon the January 6th insurrectionists, those that have been convicted. And Nikki Haley is saying, if I'm elected and Donald Trump has been convicted, I will pardon him. And, you know, we think back to Jerry Ford and Richard Nixon, and, you know, it sort of tore the country apart, right? Which was, he did these things, he left office, and now he's going to get away with them. And, you know, I think it was, you know, between that and Vietnam, I think that, you know, that chasm of almost 50, you know, 50 years ago, really, I don't think we've ever healed. And I think that, unfortunately, as a former Republican, right, I feel like Republicans were always trying to keep the wound open, as opposed to letting it close all the way, not everybody, but a lot. So now, how do you see this? Because, you know, look, we're in a board game, right, where there are rules, there are spaces, there are two dice that you throw that, you know, and there's a way to do it. And then you have, whether or not it's Trump or anybody like him, who just comes and picks up the board and throws it out the window, and everybody else is trying to set it <laughs> set it back on the table. Set it back up? Yeah, set it back up and put it back. Oh, no, 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 we're going to play like this. So give us a sense of how you think the politics interweaves with all of the stuff that we've been talking about. Well, I think that's the classic Republican Party right now. I think if they don't like the rules of the game, they just throw them out the window and they change them. And they adjust the game to what they want it to be. And so I think, look, I think Nikki Haley's wrong to say that. I mean, she is saying that she will pardon him because it's what's best for the country. It's how we heal the country. It's how we bring people back together. I think that's her message on that is that she believes that, you know, she'll pardon him and that, well, you know, we can move past that phase. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So we're teaching the lesson here that you can get away with attempting a coup. Yes. And it's okay. And we're just going to give that a pass. So, Okay, Nikki Haley, so what are you going to do if you become president and you start to drink the Kool-Aid and start to become more like that? So I guess you'll know that you can do anything that you want to do and I guess get away with it. I mean, that's what we're saying, right? I mean, this cycle repeats itself. It's a really interesting point. I hadn't thought about this because I've been out of Republican Party politics nearly a decade at this point is 
so many of the younger people coming up, Olivia, younger than you and me, maybe even a generation behind you and me, this is the world they've occupied. This is the party they've worked for. This is the thing they, they probably, any principle they had of quote unquote conservatism was not shaped by Locke or Burke or even Buckley or Reagan, but Trump and power for its own sake and might makes right. So haven't thought about that, which is, do I think that Nikki Haley is as dangerous as Donald Trump? I don't. But the apparatus around her could be poisoned beyond redemption. Well, look at Vivek. Mm, mm -hmm. Right. He is what? I the would youngest one to, on the stage. Frankly, but yes. <laughs> but I mean, he is by de facto. You look at him, you're looking at the younger generation of the GOP when he gets up there on the debate stage. Right. And I mean, I think that that is the Republican brand. And I think you're correct. That's what people know the GOP to be. Right. When you look at Turning Point, what are those conferences looking like? What is Charlie Kirk talking about? Right. Turning Point USA, which is um, Charlie Kirk, the conservative youth movement, which if you have not read uh, this book called Raising Them Right by Kyle Spencer, I interviewed her last year. This is the other part, too, that we, sh we, we need to remind everybody of is Charlie Kirk didn't come out of nowhere. Charlie Kirk was the product. Turning Point USA was the product of a youth movement on the right, Olivia, that goes back to the 1964 Goldwater Convention. And that's the one thing that I've tried to tell everybody is like they play the long game. They understand what they want. They're patient. They're well-funded. They're much smarter than the media or the left gives them credit for. And they are relentless because for them, it is existential. It is an existential fight for the way of life they believe not only they want to live, but Olivia, you and me should have to live too. Right. And it goes along with a lot of it. It goes along with their view of religion. Right. It goes hand in hand on how they have decided to adapt and adopt their religion. Right. Which is ironic, of course, because Donald Trump is a godless heathen. <laughs> right. Yeah. I sort of laugh when people they're like, oh, but he's the most pro-life president. I'm like, I understand why you say that. But that is probably the most hilarious thing I've ever heard. Yeah. No, it was a transaction. He needed the votes. They wanted this. He doesn't care either way. He doesn't care. All right. So tell us a little bit about what you're working on and how you think that the listeners of the Lincoln Project can help your efforts and the efforts to make sure that Donald Trump never returns to the White House. Well, first, you've got to get everyone out there to vote in this next election. Right. We should be preparing for that. So that's one thing. And I think we've got to start. I think it's important to continue to engage, especially moderate voters out there. They're going to be critical again. That is certainly where I'm focused is sort of trying to reach people with just a basic civility, civility and understanding. I think that is important. You know, my I'm, I'm passionate. I have a project that I'm working on and I am passionate about reducing gun deaths in this country. So I do have to talk about that. I do work 97%. Look, I am going to be honest. I am a gun owner myself. I work with gun owners who believe in responsible gun ownership and believe and are not okay with what is happening in our schools and what is happening across our country. I think we're becoming more increasingly concerned given, you know, what we were talking about, political violence. For me, personally, I worry about the intersection of guns and political violence. And so we hope that we will continue to support, you know, things like red flag laws and violent misdemeanor laws, keeping guns out of the crazy and out of the bad. 
and being more responsible in how we approach this issue. You know, I know that there's a lot of passionate views about guns. And, you know, I think a lot of people are like, okay, the Second Amendment has been distorted. Some people support it. I just think that we have to chip away at this problem in whatever way we can and build a coalition of people who care about this issue. It's a very politicized issue, but when you really talk to gun owners, gun owners span the gamut, right? They're Republicans, they're Democrats, they're independents. I mean, we're seeing Jewish people buy guns. We're seeing women are the biggest gun purchasers right now. If you go to gun shops, I I visit gun shops in my area and talk to them. They say they see a lot of transgender people buying guns. It's driven by fear. People are scared. And I think that says a lot about where we are as a country. And so my goal is to really invest in safety. We do invest. We invested in a company called Barra Safety. We invest in technology that if guns are going to be out there, we try to make it safer. We do safe storage. Uh, safe Barra is a company that does like holsters that are biometrics, safe storage. We do that in hopes of preventing suicides from vets. A lot of the time, people don't realize that most gun deaths are actually suicides, which is tragic and awful. And we really try to make a difference in that space. So it's sort of, it's looking at the problem and taking it from a different approach of doing everything we can. You know, I'm from Texas. You know that, right? No, in Texas, they give you a gun when you're born. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah pretty much. My dad taught me to shoot a gun with it when I was eight. And that is just part of the culture. But I do think that we've got to do something together to curb this violence. And I think we got to take the political side off of it and try to reach especially these legislators at the state level where we can make a difference. Um, Look, it's hard, right? I mean, we're seeing what's happening with the NRA case. I'm really glad to see that guy gone. He was Wayne LaPierre, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I'm so glad that he is to Saturday. And I hope he's held accountable. He turned that organization into a bunch of grifting and it started off as being focused on safety and it strayed far from that. And I would say like there's a lot of gun owners who don't associate with the NRA. I mean, it gets a lot of attention, but I'll say there's other movements out there. So, And famously, President George H.W. Bush, remember in a, in a very famous letter of his, you know, renounced his lifetime membership because he just in this was what the late 80s, early 90s could not abide by what they had become. And I think that, you know, as we wrap up here, too, I think that there's probably not very many Americans 50 and under, whether they be the parents of children, let's call it 60 and under, the parents of children, young adults or children themselves, Olivia, that has not been affected or been part of a shooting in a school. And I, you know, I call those, you know, late millennials and Gen Zers, I call them generation lockdown. Like, that's not my idea of freedom when I send my kids to school is like, well, to be free means they might get shot at school. Like, that's not how this is supposed to work at all. Now, and that's the twisted nature of the conversation, to your point. And that's why it's so hard to how do you start to unwind something like that when an object, which is meant for only one thing, <laughs> right? Like, I mean. Okay, a 30 out 6 you can shoot a deer with it, a 12-gauge shotgun, you can shoot a bird with it, a 9-millimeter, an AR-15. Like, they only have one purpose. Now, you could say, okay, sports shooting or targets, whatever. But the creation of that object was for a specific purpose, and it wasn't to make sunshine and rainbows come out of everywhere. So, all right, before I let you go, where can we find you online, if you still dare to tread there, and where can we find your work? You know, I am on Threads. Um, I'm on X. I still call it, call it Twitter, but I guess we'll call it X, even though, man, it's ugly on there. But yeah, so I'm on there. I'm on X um, under Olivia Troy or Olivia Troy. Um, and you can find me on threads. 
Instagram, the usual. I sometimes will pop my head up and prepare for the whatever's going to come my way. You know, thanks for the heads up on the swatting, though. I'll probably call the detective in my my area just to know that this is becoming a trend of of it. What a waste of resources, though. We didn't even talk about that, right? Right. Every 911 call that didn't get answered. That's what I think about. I mean, someone's family member is in distress or something like that, and they're over here responding to this called in swatting. I mean, it's just awful. Just awful. I know. And, you know, God willing, you know, we can we can get through the next 10 months as safely as we can get through. Make sure Trump does not return to office. Make sure Biden, from my perspective, returns to office. And let's now go out and chart a new path for all of us. As always, gang, you can find me on Twitter at Reed Galen on threads and Instagram at Reed underscore Galen underscore LP and on Substack at the home front. I hope you'll check it out and sign up. Olivia Troy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. And everyone else, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to everyone for listening. Be sure to follow and subscribe to The Lincoln Project on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. Don't forget to leave a five-star review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, at Project Lincoln, and for more information on our movement, to join our mailing list, subscribe to our newsletter, or make a contribution to our efforts, visit lincolnproject.us. If you want to message the podcast directly, please send an email to podcast at lincolnproject.us. And if you want to personally join the fight to save our nation's democracy, visit jointheunion.us. For The Lincoln Project, I'm Reed Galen. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.